Can I see Where would I be without you, John? I mean, we'd be here in the dark. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Lewis, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming by, making the trip. Oh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. I like your place. Thank you. Yeah. I want to ask you about growing up in California mm-hmm. and some of the music that was in the house and if you had any like early um musical memories like is there a specific moment for you that that kind of clicked music became something more than just something that was in the house or a particular band and and, and maybe what your folks were listening to if you could just take us back to growing up and and the music that was kind of inspiring you okay well i'm one of the last of the baby boomers so I was born in Palm Springs, and at a young age, my mom had gotten in a really bad car accident, and she was in a coma for about three months. And so I was actually raised by her parents, my grandparents. Hmm. And because of her re- rehabilitation, having to be at UCLA, that's what eventually got me up to the San Fernando Valley, mm-hmm. you know, Sherman Oaks, mm-hmm. L.A., Greater LA. Greater LA, yeah. Right. You know. Um, and so that's, you know, obviously where I grew up. By the time I was five, I think I was there. I'm not sure what the reason was I ended up with a drum set. If that makes sense. Like yeah. every kid had a toy drum set. Right. Right. The Christmas shot, you're three years old, you got the whatever paper head <laughs> drum set, and you're banging, beating the shit out of it. Um, my birthday is in January. Right? So it's not Christmas, not my birthday. It's April. I'm in fourth grade, I think. I'm about nine, nine and a half, something like that, or nine-ish. And I'm walking home from school. And uh, my grandmother says, hey, close your eyes before you walk into the house. Okay. Now, so, and I'm an only child. Okay. Yeah. Raised by my grandparents, but my, I'm, my mom lives with me, but she's kind of more like a, She's my mother, but she's more like a sibling. It's like a sister just because she wasn't the responsible one making decisions in my life, Mm. right? So open the door, and here's this Ludwig 1959 used Ludwig drum kit that was kind of a Frankenstein, like whoever they got it from, took the guy took the 16-inch floor tom and cut it in half (laughs) so he could have two... (laughs) he, He could have... Like two toms. It was just kind of a, you know, and it was a green uh, sparkle. Yeah. But some of the drums look like they were left down the sun, so they're faded like they look like piss sparkle. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Anyway, but didn't matter. Yeah. Right? It was a kid. had Zildjian cymbals. And and so for about six months, I just played to records. Put on records and played along. Just played. Now I'm right-footed, but I'm left-handed. Whoa. So my natural gravitation was, and the kit was set up right-handed, was just to play open, right? Huh. So my left hand was on the hat. Yeah. That was my strong hand. But I was, but the feet were still, because I kick a ball with my right foot. Interesting. Yeah. I, I've never heard of that. Is that a thing? Uh, well, sure. You probably see, I mean, think of uh, Dave Matthews, right? Carter yeah. Bruford. Yes. He plays left-handed. But on a right-handed kit, so his hat's here, his ride's here. Okay. But it's still high to low, right. like a right-handed kit would go. Okay. As opposed to a true left-hander who's left-footed. Right. Everything's opposite. Right, 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 right. Okay. So I just would play like that. Now, you, you talk about music. So for me, in the early 60s, right, I mean, I remember the Ed Sullivan show. I mean, that was a big deal. Black and white TV, you only had like four, cha- you right. know, four channels. Right. And so... I I remember, I'm young, but I remember Vietnam mm. being in the news, and I remember the Beatles being on the Ed Sullivan show, and or Elvis, mm. you know, doing that concert in 72 from Hawaii, and which was awesome. My mom loved Elvis, and so we had to, wa- we had to watch it. Sure, it was an and, event. And Ronnie Tut, the drummer, was a badass, yeah. and he just kicked the shit out of that show, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. So, and then my, my obviously, because my grandparents, they're older. They're born in 1917. So, so their era was big band. Right. Right? The, the 
uh, Stan Kenton's and the Gene Krupa and Frank Sinatra. And it was kind of more that. Right, right. But one of my first records I think I got was Meet the Beatles. Right? It was nice. a Beatles record. And then and I just remember you're listening to AM radio, right? And then whatever the hit was, I'd go down to the record shop and I'd get a 45 of that single. Right. Right? And I'd play the shit out of the single, but sometimes if the B-side was cool, you know. Right. Um, and I would just play along in my bedroom all, all, all day long. And yeah. sometimes I'd go out, set up in the living room, do a concert for the parents, you know. Yeah. Play yeah. along to Elvis. I'd do the Elvis record. Nice. Right? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know. Um, it w- so then I, I, six months, just did what I naturally felt. Then my uh, grandparents were like, well, you should probably take private lessons. You know, we should get you into it. So fifth grade now, cool. I've got a teacher, some guy from the Cal State Northern College, you know. Yeah. And he's saying, yeah, we're going to try to switch you over to right-handed. Work on developing your right hand because you play right-footed. And, you know, and he started yeah. just teaching me to read and blah, 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 blah. By the time I got to seventh grade, <clears throat> now you had a jazz band, mm-hmm. right? The, yeah. gen, the middle school, junior right. high, had a jazz band. So I auditioned and I get in. So it's, I, I'm the third chair, right? There's two ninth graders <laughs> and then there's me. That was probably the, the shifting point for me. Part of it was because my band director, Charlemagne Payne, was just the hippest. You know, he played woodwinds, played saxophone, you know, he tried to get, like any music teacher, tried to grab tunes that kids would kind of more identify with. And I think at the time it was like going out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was yeah. more kind of on a pop, but trying to make it a jazz you right, know, tune. Right, right. Um, and then from there, you know, we went and did the Pomona Fair, which was the LA County Fair. Yeah. Right. You know, and so you're 13 and you're like, yeah, I'm playing in front of people. And, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and then he somehow got us into some club, you wow. know. Yeah. Like we played in some little club. Um, and so you get bit, you just get bit. You yeah. get hooked, right? Yeah. You get hooked by the the camaraderie of the groups, your friends. Because now all your friends are musicians. Right. I mean, pretty much, right? You right. just, it's not like you don't have any other friends. But that, I always used to say, when I got to college, I didn't need a fraternity because I already had it in the music community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started doing that, now the, at the time, the, the big groups were Earth, Wind & Fire, Chicago. This is uh, what, late this 60s, is, early 70s? This is like, se- yeah, 74 was when I started in middle school, right? I graduated in 77. Okay. So, and I graduated high school in 80, right? So this is when like, you know, Serpentine Fire, Earth, Wind & Fire... And you had the big Chicago records and the Jackson Five, right? And it was like everything was kind of uh, still horn based, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I totally I loved it, and and I loved R and B, and so the Zeppelins and the Floyds, it kind of I missed it hmm. when I had other friends that were like, oh, I'm into the Dark Side of the Moon. I'm like, okay, yeah. It, for some reason, it just didn't. That didn't grab me. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think maybe it's because of the music of your grandparents and like the big band and the and you know the horn section and the yes. that sort of instrumentation? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even almost had a big. He had a, this right. big group. There were. It was just. Yeah, it was more arrangements. It wasn't right. jammy. Right. 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 And not that there was anything wrong with jammy, it just wasn't. And so. I I do. I, do, I, I think that's part of it. And then as I was starting to read, mm. well, now I'm trying to play stuff that, again, has, I see horn hits. And so now I'm listening, I'm listening to things that have horns and right. that kind of production. Right. 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 Fast forward into high school and, of course, still studying privately all along. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm getting deep into jazz and small group jazz, Herbie Hancock. With Tony Williams. And so now Tony Williams, Jack DeJanette are my heroes. I loved Buddy Rich and Louis Belson from the Big Band era, mm-hmm. right? Every time they'd come into town, I'd see them, right? But now I was moving into the small group jazz thing. Well, that was so cool and hip that I was kind of like, rock just sucks. 
<laughs> I mean, I, it was immature, but I was like, I was like, oh, if it's not jazz, it fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah. Is, this is okay to. It's a, this is a safe space. This is a safe space. <laughs> I, I I don't have to keep it like PG, right? <laughs> no, yeah, you can say rock sucks. It's totally fine. You, well, I'll get some hate. Now, I can but it's say, I can say fucking sucks. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Lay it out. I anyway, mean... <laughs> no, so it's cool. So, but but that was my mentality. Right. Right. And <laughs> once I got to. You know, you start growing up, right? At college, I'm like 18, 19. Now, where did you go to college? Cal State Northridge. Okay. Uh, only for a year. Okay. That's a, this that's, is a, that's this another is, story. This is a funny story. <laughs> I'll get there in a second. Um, but once I get into college, and you just start opening up your scope of of music, I also kind of came through the fusion thing, the Chick Corea, mm-hmm. the it, but it was still jazz, right? Right, kind of influenced. Um, the players were phenomenal mm. to me, mm. and so I discounted the one and three, two, four, straight eighth note hi hat. Like, oh, that's nothing. That's right. child's play. That's child's play. Yeah. But as kids, you like you see with young players, right? They all they just want to jam as many notes as they can, right. as fast as they can, right. into a bar, and you're like, yo, whoa, <laughs> like. Well, let's not let's not forget about the song right. and what's really important here. Right, right. <laughs> you know, right. So right. <laughs> it wasn't till I started like kind of opening up and going, "Wow, yeah, that bottom. There is something there that's that's like not easy. Like on the surface, it might sound easy, right? But not easy. And again, as I was getting older, I was trying to groom myself. For what my desire was to be an LA studio musician. Mm-hmm. Well, that meant you had to be a chameleon. You didn't mm-hmm. know what you were going to get called for. Meant you had to have a great time, but also meant you had to really support the project, the tune. And it wasn't about me. It was about just laying good foundation meter. You know, help develop the structure as far as the you know different sections or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not about me. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just the rock bed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And how important it was to lock with the bass player and blah, 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 blah. Can I ask a question about um, you wanted to be an L.A. studio musician? That was something that never really came across. Like that whole, whole concept of being a studio musician didn't come to me until way later. I never thought, and maybe it's because I was, you know, I grew up in rural Massachusetts, but the concept of being a studio musician wasn't there but but think how, but, how did you well think about it yeah. so i would go to so you had you had drummers you loved or 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 a guitar player or whatever mm-hmm. and for me it was more about musicians right so i would literally walk into tower records right and i just start thumbing through records i'd go to a section and i'd look who, who's on the record who's mm-hmm. on the record oh shit gad's on the record oh wait who's playing bass with him Oh, I'm buying the record. I don't even know who it is. Yeah. I don't know who the record is. Just right. the fact that they're on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go buy it. Mm-hmm. Right? And then you sit down and you listen. You just put on the needle and right. you just listen. You just kick back and go, wow, it's awesome. And you get so deep into the cuts. Right? You get to flip, you flip the record and you listen to stuff that now nowadays, it's kind of like television, right? We watch f- five seconds and go, ah, oh, that's boring. Right. And we move on. Right. Well, wait a minute. Let the movie develop. They're they're trying to build the character in the story. Give it twenty minutes. <laughs> it might be a great movie. Right, right, right. But we 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 don't we make quick decisions and we move on. And, and <clears throat> musically now with what we have with streaming, kind of the same thing happens. Yeah, yeah. You the, know? yeah there's no um, commitment. At, you know, commitment to the the product. Let's say it's 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 almost like throwaway. The, the, it's disposable. It's not something that, you know, we don't, we can't even go and buy a CD or a record and you have that experience where you sit and you pour over it. But also think about, we just don't sit. Right. Right. We just don't even turn it on and sit because like now with cell phones and whatever, like, you know, you might put something on with the intention, but now you got a text. Oh, it's a work call. Right. Oh, you know, now we're being bombarded from so many different places that, that that whole experience kind of gets interrupted unless you really make a commitment to break out a six pack. Right. <laughs> you know, turn your phone off, turn your phone off and turn out the lights and right. Like, let's just right. sink into this. Right. You know, um, 
God, where was I well, going? The, so, so the record thing. Yeah. So you, so you got to remember, just over the hill was Capitol Records. Right. So I'm turning over records and saying, oh, that was tracked at Capitol. Oh, that was tracked here. And they're in my neighborhood. Like, right. they're right. right there. There's the building. Right. right. <laughs> or it's, it's, you know, this musician. Oh, he's playing Tuesday night at the Baked Potato. Right. You know what I mean? And so the access was real close. Right. To feel really attainable and and you recognize you know to go see jeff Picaro or carlos vega these guys play who did james just got done doing james taylor you're like oh you mean i can go pay 10 bucks and just sit there and watch them play incredible yeah and so it was it was kind of a function of growing up in in la i believe so yeah because because that to me los angeles is very much an entertainment town Mm -hmm. new york absolutely but Boy, if you took to me, if to me, if you took entertainment, film, and music out of L.A., <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, kinda, that's to me like because right. everyone. It didn't matter when I lived. Oh, that neighbor, he's a lighting gaffer, gaff for right. you know for a films. He's a music editor. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. always somebody in some connected industry of entertainment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, she's a dancer. Oh. Yeah. You were just in it. You know, you kind of just in it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean there was another stuff to do, but, sure. but I played drums, so I was in it. Right. Yeah. How awesome is that? Yeah. And then, all right. So you're, you, you, you're playing drums. Uh, you're into, into jazz through, through high school. You decide to do college. college. And was that, was that a music thing? So I, sure. I got scholared in percussion major. Right. But at the time, so this would have been 1980-81. At the time, degrees then were not the same as they are now. Like now we have a degree in pop songwriting. Right. Right? You, if you that's what you want to do, you can actually try to get a degree. I, I mean, maybe I'm being facetious, but they're a lot more molded to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Then a percussion major meant, oh, I've got to do four mallet exercises. Every, all the training was for, to like get a gig in a symphony. Right, right. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. That ain't it. I want to play a drum set in a studio. Right. Like now at the time, GIT, or it's now, what is it, MIT now. But it started out as Guitar Institute. Right, right. right? Then they added the drums. Um, that was starting to spring up. Um, so I, I did a year of college. The second semester, my grandfather... It was my dad basically passed away from cancer. And I think that was more devastating to me than I realized. But because I was the technically only child, and here's my grandmother and my mom, it moved me into kind of like, in a way, like not the man of the house, but like it just kind of changed. Like I needed, what am I doing with my life kind mm-hmm, of thing? Mm-hmm, mm. And I was like, school... You know, I was, I'd fall asleep in economics. You know what I mean? Like, right. I didn't give a shit about it. <laughs> right? So, after that one year, I just, I, I bailed. Yeah. Met, met other musicians. Uh, hey, let's start a studio. Okay, let's think about that. Well, we can get a Tascam 38, 8-track, half-inch machine. That's cool. All right, we'll borrow some money. And then, in my garage, it used to be a rehearsal room. Yeah. We're trying to build this little eight track. The eight track eventually became a Fostex half inch 16. Right. Lenny Kravitz was there no. before he was, you know, who he was. Wait, 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 wait. He was in your garage? He was in my garage. He, he was, he was another drummer I knew was, they would jam, you know, together and with some other musicians. And he was just one of the guys that came along. Oh, my God. You know, I wasn't even on the session. I was like, yeah, cool, record, you know. Um, I've got a guy that can engineer it for you. <laughs> and I find out, oh, shit, he was in my garage. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, but I didn't get to meet him. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you know Nick Manson that's in town. Mm-hmm. So Nick moves here to town. I'm doing gigs in L.A., Another piano player in L.A. is like, hey, there's this piano player that's moved to Phoenix. You should hook up with him. Nick Manson. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> I keep going back. Did you hook up with Nick? No, I didn't hook up with Nick. Finally, at the end of the summer, I call Nick. I say, hey, man, I'm supposed to get together with you. <laughs> right? 
He's like, cool. So we get together, we hit it off, right? Because he comes from like that jazz, but yet has done a lot of pop stuff, yeah, right? So we really hit it off. And then we had his good friends I actually had worked with in LA. I just never worked with him, huh. right? We're driving in the car one day and we have a mutual drummer, the same mutual drummer friend, because I think he was on that session with Lenny. And I'm tired of telling him, yeah, you know, I, had, I was at this house in the back, there was a garage and in the studio, it was like, narrow driveway he was he was there <laughs> you know it's just that small world yeah, right? Yeah, yeah right 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 so so did the studio with my who was like one of my best friends um and then that half inch 16 went to a two inch 24 right it just kept growing yeah so this is this is after you decide to quit college and after i decided so but you didn't give up music. I no, mean, no. So no, no different than 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 yourself or a lot of my friends. So now I'm not going through the academic program. Got you. So while all my buddies were still doing four mallet right. stuff, I've purchased a Simmons drum kit. I have a Lindrum. I have an SB. You know, I'm yeah. getting into drum sampling. I'm getting into programming. Okay. I'm doing all this stuff. Now they graduate college. I didn't. And they're like, "Hey, man, how does this?" drum programming thing work how does you know because they know that's what i've been doing right but just doing it on your own and again in la then because we didn't have internet um you just had a lot of resources Mm -hmm. right i mean just or maybe even influence right i want to get in the studio well shoot jeff Picaro on on michael zambello on maniac or no it was mike baird He's using a Simmons drum kit. What? What is that? You know, next mm. thing you know, I've got to have a Simmons drum kit. Right. 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 <laughs> it's like, right. Which I still have, by the way. No kidding. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I bought it in London. No shit. Yeah. So were you, were you like, uh, you were engineering other musicians? Well, it, it, yeah. it became a, so, so a that, job? Yeah. That's the same thing. So then I started learning about engineering, hmm. how to mic something, how to get level. How to buy us a tape machine, hmm. right? Because right. we were trying to have this other business, mm-hmm. right? Aside from gigging, mm-hmm. right. you know, um, unfortunately or unfortunately, it's not unfortunate, but when I moved here, I kind of had to walk away from all that, hmm. right? My partner, I just said, hey, man, you can keep the gear. I'm, I'm moving to Phoenix. And what was the impetus for the move? My wife. Yeah. 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 Met her on the road, you know. So you had been touring at the time? Yeah, because I was working with the Fifth Dimension, and we went and played in Manila in the Philippines. Wow. She happened to be there on a on a training thing with some manufacturing company, and she happened to be staying at the same hotel, but went to the show. We were we were playing doing a show with the Stylistics, you know, and, you know, yeah. Next thing you know, yeah, next thing you know, I'm moving to Phoenix. <laughs> and, and that was scary, right? I because bet. I grew up in a city. I had work. All my friends are here. The network. Yeah. Right. That we, we rely on. Sure. So now I'm moving to Phoenix, which I was like, I would have never, never in my wildest dreams thought. Right. A, I'd move out of LA, but if I did, that I'd move there. Right. 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 Because I, I was kind of a, I'm a city kid. So maybe maybe Nashville, maybe New York, but it, it wouldn't have been Phoenix, right? But and what I, year was that that, that you moved? That here? was uh, late two thousand one. Oh, okay. So okay. I've been here now. It'll be my twentieth year. Yeah. It's coming up in November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've been here twenty years, which wow. freaks me out. Yeah, right. Um, at the time was super scary, but I had road gigs, and so I was kind of like, well, I can fly. live anywhere. I can live anywhere. Fly right. to my gigs as long as the people I'm working with are cool. Right. Which at the time was the fifth and Melissa, Melissa, Melissa Manchester. Okay. Right. And they were like, they were all about it. They were cool. Mm -hmm. Um, how did you get those gigs? Okay. So the fifth dimension, my partner who I did the studio with, his dad was a musician. They were from Vegas. His dad played with like Diana Ross and, and Margaret Paul Anka, like, you know, right. So Ron grew up kind of in the thing. And he's a keyboard player. Next thing you know, he's 16, subbing for his dad wow. on the fifth dimension. Wow. In the second keyboard chair. Right, right. right. So that eventually just turned to him 
being the second keyboard player on the Fifth Dimension gig. And so while we were doing the studio, he always had that gig. And it was a different MD. And eventually, I kind of became, he would call me or I'd get the call to play percussion as long as they were in the southwest region of the company. If like they're, or I mean, the country. So if they're in Phoenix or Vegas, San Diego, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they needed a percussionist, I'd get the call. And I was, I was, I mean, I, I was kind of a hack. You know what I mean? Like they'd have timpani parts. I'm like, well, I don't have timpani, but I had a drum cat. Okay. And I had a sampler. Yeah. So I'd pull up timpani sounds and play it on the drum cat. Yeah. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Um, I always felt like when I played congas that, that I was a drummer acting like a conga player. Cause right. like, I'm not truly a conguero. Right. Right. When you watch serious cats play. Yes. Right. But I can fake it. I can get, I can get through the, I can get through the job and make the money. Um, so, so that's how I started with the fifth. Then early 90s, the drummer that had been on the gig, he was having some drug dependency issues. Okay. And kind of became a liability. Uh. And so they were just like, yeah, we need, it. we need to cut him loose. And, then, and at that point, my buddy had become the musical director. So he just said, perfect. Do you want, you're, do you want the gig? Wow. Yeah, it's yours if you want it. Wow. I was like, well, sign me up. And then I did 22 years oh my God. with them, right? Crazy. Yeah. The Melissa gig, um, again, had friends playing with Melissa. And, you know, we do weddings, whatever. You know, in L.A., it's interesting because you'd be doing a wedding, and I'd have T. Lavitz playing keys, which, you know, he played with the Dixie Drags and, like, heavy uh -huh. gigs. Uh -huh. And then the bass player um, was Larry Kimpel, who, you know, plays with Frankie Beverly and Mays and like, like these heavy gigs and like we're doing Brown Eyed Girl. Right. Like, so they're, yeah, when they're off the road, they're doing these wedding hits. Like everyone else. They're just right. trying to work. <clears throat> they're trying, they need to keep money coming in. Right. 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 Or, or, and just don't want to sit at home. So the same thing. I do these gigs. The MD for Melissa is playing guitar. <laughs> we do a bunch of gigs together. All of a sudden, same thing. They want to make a change in the group. He calls me up one day and says, hey, we're leaving for Rome. In a couple of weeks, we're making a change. Do you want the gig? Oh my god! Well, I'm like, well, yeah, of course, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I got those gigs. But I mean, I auditioned for Tom Jones, which supposedly it was up. I was down to the final two, and I just didn't get the one. Huh. You know, audition for Belinda Carlisle. You know, uh, audition for Pat Benatar. Mm -hmm. Auditioned for the Faith tour with George Michael. Wow. You know, and I remember being in Hollywood, down SIR in Hollywood. Yeah. And I'm in a line of drummers. Like you're just, you see guys, you know, you're just yeah. waiting to go in. And then you realize after the audition, there was really probably six guys. They already had you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They, they wanted, but they were just going to kind of see, well, maybe we'll, we'll find somebody. Right. And you hear those stories about the one guy that was the last audition that, you know, got the got gig. The gig right. That, he was a nobody, but, you know, got a chance. Yeah, wow, wow. So, and, and, and I think in a lot of ways that holds true today. Like, if, if you want to be a touring cat, um, yeah, you kind of do need to be in L.A. Hmm. And I can't tell you, now with my circuit of friends, you know, I hear, oh, so-and-so is looking for a, a drummer, and I'll, or, or, or whoever. They're looking for whatever the musician is. And I say, well, I know some guys here in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. That would be would kill it. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no. They have to live in L.A. Hmm. I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. Well, just in case we call a rehearsal. Why? Right. They'll, they'll even, if you call a rehearsal, they'll go. Right. They want the gig. Right. They'll go. Huh. And it was like, no, they got to they gotta live here. And, yeah, now, this is strange. It's, it's, it's strange. Um, I, it's, I think it's changed in a lot of ways now. Right, because of technology. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh, the recording industry. So I wanted to be a studio musician. But then when you started coming out of the 90s and you started seeing home studios take a bigger presence, mm -hmm. technology changing. Now everyone's got a studio on their laptop. Right. 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 All of a sudden, these big rooms were closing down. And now, how do you get a client and charge them? Like, nobody cares. They got a laptop. They can do it in their apartment. Right. Right? So then you start to realize, okay, 
So then when I moved here, I was like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm walking away from the studio. Right. I'll just buy my, you know, I can set up my own thing. And right. now we can do it through internet right. and, and send tracks. Right. You know, it's not the best. It's not the way I prefer right. to make a record. Right? You, right. I don't, you probably don't prefer it that way. No. No, I, you, I, you you want to be you want to interact with you. That's yeah. where the that's where the beauty and the magic happens. Right, right. So, uh, that also made it easier. I think mm -hmm. to come here, mm -hmm. and of course, initially you're like, well, okay, what, what's the scene like here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you and like everyone else, you start <clears throat> going out to the jams, you start meeting people, and then you realize, oh my god, there's super talented people here, like yeah. on an A scale, yeah. like super talented. And so now it's kind of like if you go, well, there's, it, there's no restaurants in Phoenix, right. not like in LA, you know? Right, right. And then you go, well, no, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. Dig a little deeper. Right. You'll find the killer steakhouse, the killer da, 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 da. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, okay. I, it's great living here. Right. And I don't have the pressure and the expense right. of living in Los Angeles, the traffic, the, I'm not wanting for anything. Right, right, right. right? So, yeah, because I think there's a super cool, it's a great community here. It's incredible. I mean, and I mean, as you say, it's incredible musicians. And I was just having this conversation the other day that, that the whole sense of community was, I was just astonished that it's, we're all, you know, we're all kind of working towards the same thing and with, but without competition, it's a, it's a different, I mean, competition in the sense f f let's go get the work you know that that whole thing but there is enough work for everybody and i just feel like there's room you know whereas maybe la as you say you'd go to a wedding hit with some super heavies and it's like well there's it's it's harder to get in to even that when you're not a heavy yes so so we we were talking early and i said oh i have a story yeah 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 so i i was talking about in my early 20s i was working in banking yeah. but i was playing all the time so there were many nights i stayed up all night all of a sudden i come into the bank with my tie and you got to remember i had like a mohawk <laughs> so so here i am in a bank but my manager's super cool and he's like well okay you got to like can you kind of comb your hair down the top part over the shaved sides? So I'd, I'd part it on the side, comb it down. But the back was really long, so I'd have to braid it, fold it, and tuck it into my shirt collar. Oh, my God. I mean, it was a whole thing. It was a, it was a whole thing. But they were super cool, and I wasn't going to change me. Yeah, right. Right, right. So, so here now, I go do a session. And do you know Grant Geisman? No. Grant Geisman was a guitar player on Feels So Good, uh, uh, Feels So Good, Chuck Mangione. Okay, yeah. Yes. He was the guitar player. Da, da, da. And he, yeah. So he was a known guitar player in the L.A. scene. Like, you know, so now I'm on a date. And he's the guitar player. I'm like, well, this is cool. Oh, my God. I'm doing a date with Grant Geisman, right? If it wasn't the next week or the week after, I'm at the bank and he's in line to cash a check. <laughs> And I, and I just want to shrivel. Yeah. I'm like, you can't see me working a bag. I'm trying to be a drummer. I'm trying right. to be one of the guys. Right, right. You know? And then the next thing you know, because I was in a supervisory back office position, sure enough, Teller needed help. Oh. I had to go over and help. And I was like, hey. <laughs> hey, Grant. You work at a bank? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, I'm like, tail between the legs. <laughs> you know? Because I'm trying... <laughs> another, another. I, I, I talk about this a little bit, but so, so you kind of had to uh, play the part. And I got called to do a session. It was a Disney session at Capitol Records in Studio A. Well, I didn't have cartage. Hmm. You know, the big players, the Jeff Picaros and whatever, they just call the cartage company. They show up. Drums are they're set up. Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. walk. They walk and play. They move on to the next date. Right. Right. I'm going to Capitol Records with A list players. I can't walk in there carrying my drums and setting them up. So I'm like, okay. So I, I told Disney, I said, yeah, my card is just drum doctors. Dave, Gar uh, Ron, is it Dave? Not Dave Garfield. Um, Ross Garfield. 
Have you heard of Drum Doctors? Mm-mm. Famous. He's got some great YouTube ep- uh, episodes. But I said, yeah, he's my, he's my card guy. Um, he knows what I need, you know. And immediately I'm on the phone to them. Look, I got this data capital coming up. These are the drums I need when they call. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, we got you. Right? So I walk into Capitol Records. Full DW kit set up. Somebody's already checked it. Tapped mm-hmm. all the drums for the engineer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, cool. Great. Ready? Cool. I'm ready. Yeah, I got to grab some coffee. You know, <laughs> grab some coffee. And I just go down and sit down and play. But it was like, you felt like, I have to look at least I'm on that level if I'm going to hope to get called on that level. Right, right. And I, re- I remember doing other dates. I had a friend of mine who was a very good guitar player. Calls me up. He says, "Hey man, I'm doing this Latin record for this huge Latin artist. Her name was Gloria Trevi, and she was like the Madonna of kind of Mexico, South America, young girl, um, but had huge records. Vinny can't do the dates, and I've got I've convinced them that they need to use you. Nice. Yeah, great, great. But I'm like, oh, oh. I'm like, okay, you know." But again, I can't walk in carrying my drums. So I call my buddy. Hey, man, come to my house. Pick up my drums. I create a fake invoice if it's a cartage company. Right, right. You know, just right. to make it look like, yeah, I'm walking in. My drums are set up. Cool. Yeah, 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 know, yeah. The, playing the part. I'm playing the part. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now I don't think any of that matters. Right. Well, right. now you're cutting it in your in your spare well, bedroom. Well, you're cutting in your bedroom, and and then I and and for certain guys, maybe there are those sessions where they're doing three in a day, mm-hmm. but those, day, those days are over. Right. You know, the, the Jeff Picaro like running from one studio to the next to the next in one day and doing it again tomorrow, and right. kind of right. 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 I don't know. Yeah, it's changing. I mean, well, it's changed. Right. Yeah, right. it, it, it's changed. And I'm not saying for better or worse, just different. Right. And we have to adapt. Right. Right. We, mm-hmm. we were kind of talking about the COVID thing, right? You just have to adapt. If we can't do live performances, how are we going to get our music out there? Right. And, and connect with the audience. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break. Okay. I'm exhausted. Sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. In a day when we were friends. This episode is brought to you by the Engstrom team. Oh, my. It's my dear friends, Becky, Carrie, and Kate, some of my oldest friends in Arizona. And this is a mother-daughter real estate team with Coldwell Banker Realty. Do you have any questions about real estate? I had no idea. I talked to Kate. She hooked it up. Boom. Next thing you know, I'm a homeowner. They got 25 years of experience. They know what's up. Please support my friends, Kate, Carrie, and Becky. Call them if you have any real estate questions. Just quit buggering around and get serious. Call them, 480-250-1936, or check them out online, engstromteam.com. That's E-N-G-S-T-R-O-M, team.com. Do it, do it, do it, do it. You moved here in 2001, around this time. Right. What are some of your early memories of the scene at that time? Um, I didn't really know. I mean, I, I, I literally... So, a couple, maybe a year or two before I moved here, I did a show with the Fifth Dimension here in town. And it was, a, it was the Fifth Dimension and the Association. Right, Wendy? Mm-hmm. Right? And there was a guy backstage... Where was the gig? It was at Fort McDowell. Okay. Yeah, it was out in the parking lot. They did the outdoor stage, right? Fireworks, the whole bit, right? It's just a gig for me, right? I'm coming in from LA, but there's this guy hanging out backstage. So, you know, I'm hanging out and I start talking with him. And he says, yeah, I used to play with the Turtles. And I know some of these guys with the association. And it was a keyboard player named Peter Zale. I don't know if you know Peter here. That name sounds very familiar. Yeah. Don't ask me why, but I got his number. Don't. I got his number and I kept it, right? So now all of a sudden I moved here. Well, I know nobody. So I did two things. One is I went down to the musicians' union, just walked in the door, introduced myself, you know, <laughs> and then I called Peter Zale. I said, Hey, Peter, do you remember? Yeah, I remember. Da, da, da. 
I said, can we get together? And you kind of break down the scene to me? He says, absolutely. So we met at a Starbucks. He has a legal pad. And he's got it all written out. He goes, okay, this is Todd Shuba. Here's his phone number. This is Don Moyle. Here's his phone number. Jeff Lowy at Third Encore. Never worked for that bastard. You know, Paul Arena's okay. You know, I mean, right. he like, like broke it down. And then I'm That's sitting there, awesome. I'm like, well, what can I expect for pay? Like, what's the pay scale? Yeah. Uh, you know, diddly, you'll, you'll get about this. Okay, cool. I get it's not L.A., but living here is not L.A. either right. as, as far as cost. So cool. But he spelled it all out for me. That's awesome. So then I started making the calls. Hey, my name is John Lewis. Just moved to town. I'm not, and I, and I was really clear about, um, I'm not trying to take your gig. I'm not trying to, I just want to let you know I'm here. And if you need a sub, if there's a hole and I can fill it, know that I'm here. Mm-hmm. And because I really felt that way, because I had my road gig. So I, financially, I was cool. And I have to admit, there was a period when I was like, well, when am I going to start getting the call? <laughs> like, because for a good three and a half, maybe four years, it was the call because so-and-so couldn't do it. Uh-huh, right. So-and-so or so-and-so. <clears throat> but I was not the first call. Mm-hmm. Another story, there's a band in town called Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. And I remember Bill Gunther, Brzezzi, mm-hmm. used to do the gig. And Tomlinson, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he calls me up one time and he says, Hey John, I've got this gig. Now he goes, you know, you are my first call guy. You know, like after I call Bruzizi, after I call Tomlinson, after I call Shuba and I'm on the phone going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean I'm your like fifth call guy? <laughs> right. It was the funniest thing I said to you. I'm, I'm his first call guy, but he lists all these guys. He's called, he calls first. Right. Right. <laughs> it's just, I thought that was hysterical, but it just took a while. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it does. Sure. Thank you so much for listening to So The Story Goes. Guys, this has been so much fun. Thank you for supporting my little podcast. I just ask, go rate and review it. It really helps. You can find it wherever you stream podcasts. Thank you for listening. And let's get back to talking with John. I have found in LA, as well as here, and I don't, I'm not going to say it's universal, but particularly the drum community is always super supportive of each other. Hmm. And I'm not saying it's not, I find horn players are more competitive. Hmm. For whatever reason. Yeah. But but drummers just seem to like help each other out. Yeah. You know, oh, you don't have a gig? Oh, wait, if I hear something, I'll get you a gig. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. I wonder if it's because, you know, that that whole market for a horn player is tighter than... Because you could do a hit as a drummer with a a singer-songwriter. Whereas you don't really get those calls as a trumpet player. No. There's not as much opportunity. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. So it took you a couple years to to start playing in town, or I mean, I started doing some thing, you know, some things. Yeah, but before I think it was at least three and a half, four years before, like like I said, maybe I was getting the second call gotcha. or even the first call. Right, right. You know, it just it just took a while. Yeah, I would guess that that's probably the case though in every market, right? I mean. I, I absolutely. I don't think you could move anywhere. I mean, look, if I'm hiring, I want to hire my. I'm hiring my friends. I'm right. hiring the people I know. Right. Right. Because right. you have a you have a history with them. Right. Beyond, they're on time. Right. They'll take care. Of, you know, they'll do what they need to do. Right. You know, whatever. Um, and it isn't if I'm all of a sudden short and it's like, oh, okay, well, there's this new guy down. Cool. Yeah. I'll give him a call. Right. You know. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, how did um, how did COVID affect you? And maybe not necessarily only professionally, but just kind of overall. Did it? Did it? How did it register for you? Uh, like everyone else, I think March fifteenth is pretty much the date where work right. all of a sudden just stopped. Right. Like it just your calendar just went white. Right, and. At first, you're not quite sure. You're like, "Oh, that's cool. We could we could deal for a month. Right. We can right. deal with this." And thankfully, for the different governmental stimuluses programs that you were able to tap into, and now all of a sudden you 
get unemployment, which as a self-employed person, you'd you never couldn't. be entitled to, right. you know, that helped. That being said, sure, I'm cooking more at home. I'm eating probably better than ever because I'm not eating out. I'm cooking at home. Right. You know, mentally a drag. Yeah. Right? After a while, it, it, you, you, you talk to your friends or whatever. And it got to the point where I started having guys come to the house and play. Hmm. It's like, okay, well, let's just have, let's drink and have food and just play. Hmm. Hmm. You know? Hmm. Um, because you, I, like I, we talked about earlier, I, I, I need to be with some. I want. I need to play with someone. Right, right. I, I feed so much off of what that other person gives me for me then to respond in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no fun to sit in a room and talk to yourself. Right, right. You know, right. Um, so it, it was tough. Yeah. And here we are, what eighteen months later, and we're still a little unsure. But fortunately, we're working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, and you're seeing. I know that you do some work with the Lucky Devils, so that's wedding stuff, and that's right. and that's kind of back, right? It's totally, yeah, yeah, totally. And a lot of things that postponed from 2020 is right. is now we're we're making up for now, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. It was one thing I I learned I, I, from last year was how much um, joy. And um, self, uh, well, just the, the fulfillment of of performing. How much I tie my happiness to that, the ability to do that. Well, here's the and thing. to have those conversations. Right. Here's the thing: we 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 try to say that what we do doesn't define us, hmm. right? Right. But I agree with you. Uh, if if you're if a person is fortunate to be bitten by music. Um, that is our, that is our life. And no matter what's going on in my life personally, the moment I get on a bandstand and play, it all goes away. Mm -hmm. And if I have a fever, the moment I get on the bandstand, for whatever reason, that fever goes away until after the gig, it might come back after the gig, but during the gig, all of a sudden I just feel a hundred percent better. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. So because music resonates so much for me, and for you and you know and the people that we know it's vital mm-hmm. those vibrations are vital mm-hmm. and if we don't have those now we're hurting yeah yeah you know it same thing if, if i if i feel a little under the weather have a cold and, and my voice isn't as strong as i think it needs to be as soon as i start singing everything's fine yeah how does that happen i don't know it's ama- it's amazing, it's, and then and, and it just tells you that the body's amazing, right? Right, and, and it literally he- heals me. Yeah, you know. Well, often people will say, "Really, you're turning 60? And all I can say, it's got to be the music, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. it has to. Be. I know people have joy, whether it be in their sailboat or you know, or their ATV, whatever. They have joy. I just don't know that some do, but in our community, it seems like even if we're playing at the VIG, the fact that you get to touch your your guitar and sing, who cares the drunks at the bar, and I get to hit the drum behind you, we got a lot of joy going on. Mm-hmm. And like, like we talked about with fever, like whatever's going on in our lives just goes away. So I think he keeps us young. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. I'm I mean, I'm obviously thankful that, that we're back uh back working. Um, but it, it just it's a it's a it was a reminder uh how how extremely important it is. Right. And and again, as I mentioned before, like part of the reason for this podcast is to have the conversations that we used to just always have. Right. At a gig, on break, before or after, you know, like that sense of community. But also COVID pushed you to try to discover different avenues in which to continue to do what you do, mm-hmm. as it did for many other people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I suppose that's a, 
that that's would a be silver a, lining. That would be a silver lining, right? That'd be the if there was a positive, right? Right. right. Uh, for for corporate America, it showed them that they better figure out telecommuting because right. we can't have people come to the office now. They have to work for us from home, and now that we're kind of back open, now they're learning. Oh, wait, maybe we don't need to have them come to the office. Right. Maybe we don't even need to have an office. Right. Right. We can still function. Let them be at home. Right. You right. know, it's it just kind of redefined, like, how are we going to move forward? Right. Right? As a society. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's how. Um, do, you have any, do you have any big tours coming up? No. Um, so, a lot of the road work I did, they're older acts. Mm-hmm. The Fifth Dimension, um, there's one original singer left in the five. Now, Marilyn and Billy Davis, still alive. But in the mid-70s, they left the group. And Marilyn had a, had a whole solo career and did solid gold and whatever. The other three retained the name and the group. Out of those three, there's only one left that still has the name wow. and the group. It's still a fantastic show. But it has a shelf life. Sure. Right, Florence is getting up there in age. She's had a couple hip hip replacements. I mean, there's going to be an end Mm -hmm. to when the decision will be: is it going to be a tribute group? And I don't mean that in in a bad way. It's just life, Mm -hmm. right? It's just the way it is. And so uh, things just change. So I'm not working with them as much. And then with Melissa, we talked about Melissa Manchester. She's not really going out with a drummer anymore, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or she does. It's just cheaper to pick up a local guy because right. the book's written, and as long as they can read the book and they can talk down a rehearsal, right, it'll get her through the show. Right. And as you were saying, it's it's cheaper for them. You know, I feel like that whole process of of consolidation um, is 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 a result of um, not only of of of, of COVID and, and maybe the the paring down of of larger acts, but um, as you say, technology can fill some of these some of these gaps there's there's that and 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 uh bring on the night i don't know bring on the night it was a sting dvd movie right you had omar hakeem on drums you had kenny kirkland and brandon brantford marsalis yeah you got sting and there was a they're rehearsing for the tour, and when you watch the movie, it was so telling because the manager basically looked at Branford Marsalis and said, "If you don't show for the gig, nobody cares." <laughs> what? If, well, yeah, I mean it's the reality. Yeah. If Sting doesn't show for right. the gig, everybody cares. Right. And it's kind of the it's kind of the route. So if I'm on the tour and I'm there, great. But if I'm not, and a drummer locally is there, nobody knows. Hmm. Nobody cares. They're there to see Melissa. They're here to hear mm-hmm. her songs. Mm-hmm. You know, same with you, Brian. If it's me or if it's Todd, they might prefer to see Todd or they might prefer to see Adam Armijo or whatever. But if it's not that, they're not going to be bummed. Mm-hmm. If you don't show and Matt Weddle steps in, they're going to be like, but I came here to see Brian. <laughs> yeah. Same, you know, kind yeah. of the same thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It's it's not a degrading judgment or anything. It's just right. the reality, right? Right. You know. So the so the touring the touring work is is kind of changing. It's it's. Uh, do you want to go back out on the road? I would, but there's times I wouldn't. Right. Does that make sense? Like, sure. uh, in a way, it's we, we we talked about that rung on the next ladder. Well, yeah. I'm getting up in age, where I no longer have the need mm-hmm. to reach to the next rung. I'm content. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to do this stuff. I've done it. Right. Or at least I, at a certain level, I feel I've done it. And I don't, I don't have this great desire. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 I just want to make sure that what I'm doing, I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. like we talked about, just be able to provide a living. And, yeah. Right. What, um, what is like the, a, a show for you that sticks out in your mind, kind of looking at your career, um, whether it was with the fifth dimension or, or otherwise, was there a show where there, you're like, yeah, there was, there, there was one that I think of, uh, was back in 1988 and I was playing with Gary Puckett, Gary Puckett, the union gap. And we were doing a show along the river. I think we were in Paducah and Kentucky. Maybe we were somewhere 
I don't know, we're along this beautiful river, and there's got to be 50,000 people out there. Yeah. And I'm on this huge stage, and the bill was with us in Three Dog Night. Oh, cool. Yeah. And there was a moment I sat on the drum set, and I'm looking at the light rigging, and I'm just looking at everything, I'm like, fuck me. <laughs> like, like, I was like, take this in. Yeah, yeah. Because this is it. <laughs> like this is the sh this is it wow like just a yeah. sea of as far as you could see that's incredible you know and and so yeah that was one of those i mean awesome that you had the awareness to to take that moment too though i feel like if i was in that i'd really want to just like <laughs> bring well, my scope in a little bit so well, i don't but I freak think part the fuck of you out bring your scope in because you're trying to concentrate on your performance you're trying to concentrate on right. what you do but there's definitely a moment if you i think a drummer is a little bit at an advantage Partly because we sit at the back of the stage, we have this outside kind of mm -hmm. look. We get to look at everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. That maybe is you as an artist in front of the mic, you're concentrating on the lyrics, you're the delivery of the tune. You, you just have a super uh, uh, focus yeah. that, that has to be there. Right. So you don't have time to survey. Right, right. Right? right? Yeah, yeah. And that could be part of it. Yeah. Um, I just feel like if I was in that scenario, <clears throat> walking out to 50,000 people, my goal would be just focus on the microphone. Like, don't, don't lose sight of the microphone, bro. Yeah. Like, that's my, yeah. 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 But maybe you're right. You're like, you're in the back a little bit. You can, you see everything. Everything is in front of you, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, 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 I in a way, I, I, I kind of feel, you know, like you're the catcher. Mm -hmm. on the baseball team right mm -hmm. you, you see the whole diamond you see the whole field you see the outfield right right the pitcher on the other hand is just got to focus on getting that pitch over the plate right doesn't can't see right what's going on right and in, and probably yeah and 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 you need to shut everything else out right absolutely you, you need know. to be super focused on like okay what's this next pitch how am I going to strike this at, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Not that the catcher doesn't have to be aware of it as well, but sure. they just have this broader, they got to like, know. okay. Runners. Yeah. Yeah. Know, exactly. Where's the play? <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. Right. Right. Where's exactly. the play? So, yeah. Um, so that stood out for me. Yeah. That's sort of, and there's been a couple others um, on that same thing, like Brant, Brant's hat, Brant's hat shell. It's in Boston. Oh really? Yeah, it's where the 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 Boston Pops okay used to always do their big concerts, an outdoor shell. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, I here I am doing the shell with the Fifth Dimension. Dave Cassidy was on the on the bill. Okay. Great show, but you know it's it's dark, right? You can only see so far. But then when you get in the car and you're talking to the driver, you say, hey, "There was probably seventy thousand people here." Jesus. And I'm just like, "Wow." Really? And I had no, you know, you don't have any idea. You know, it was packed. Right. And people were screaming, but you just don't have a concept of the, how large. Right. 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 Um, but those are, and because I remember being younger, watching the Boston Pops on TV perform on that stage. Right. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I've never done an arena, you know, like, like right? Or, right. Or, I haven't done those level. Uh -huh. of of shows yeah they've been big outdoor things but not like a you know right 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 yeah so you've you've basically toured it sounds like you've toured all over the globe is there anywhere it, that, that oh yeah yeah i haven't gone to south america oh which i i, I would love to go i haven't been to australia mm -hmm. and and when you do music you kind of go well, yeah, I don't need to take a trip there because I just think music someday will take me right, there. Right, right. That's right. And it, I still haven't gotten to those places. <laughs> you know, I almost had a, a, a show in St. Petersburg yeah, in Russia. Cool. But then it canceled, uh, you know. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the music was also a vehicle of how I got to see things. Right, right. You know? Right. Um, I'm, the same, I'm the same way, though. It's like I'm not, I'm not going to go as a... Just As a, a regular tourist, tourist. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't want to do because it's like you kind of get the keys to the city a little bit. You absolutely as a musician, absolutely. You know, and you're like, I can't just be a regular person. I need to go do the thing. Yeah, you know, I want the keys. <laughs> I, was, I was in this original band, and for whatever reason, you know, we were doing clubs, and we'd do a club, and 300 people would show up, and 
all original music. And we're trying to get signed and we're running to the labels along Sunset Strip delivering our cassettes and our yeah. press kit packages. <laughs> Somehow we get on this gig to go to Tahiti as an original band. Awesome. Next thing you know, we're doing radio shows, right? And then we get this guy from the magazine says, hey, you guys want to go scuba diving? Oh, we don't ask it. It doesn't matter. Just show up. Be at the dock. They got a boat. They got tanks. Next thing you know, I'm 40 feet under the water with beautiful fish. All paid for. Like, right. I'm just showing up. And I'm just like going, this is awesome. This is it. This is awesome. <laughs> but that's the way. I, you're right. right. You kind of like to be able to see it that way because right. we get spoiled. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All the best restaurants, all the all the right. The best Here we're going to this restaurant. The, yeah. the promoter's going to pick up the tab. <laughs> right. Whatever wine is on the table is yeah. unbelievable wine. It's just like <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's something that I miss about touring in Europe. Is that that's that you just get the red carpet, you know, rolled out for you. And there's a the, in Japan as well, or or when I was in the Philippines, there's a certain uh, hospitality. Like they mm -hmm. just, they're just so hospitable. Like they want to make sure you are happy and and they're taking care of you. Totally. And and that definitely happens in Europe as well. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't get in a 15 passenger van and do that whole thing. There, I mean, there's a level of touring that that you are comfortable with that that you would do. If you were to, there are certain I, there are certain tours where they go, hey, we're going out and da da da, but you have to room, mm -hmm. and I just go, I don't room. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, you've done it enough to know that it's just not happening. Yeah, but to say that I wouldn't, it's all about at the time that that tour is happening, what's happening in your life. Oh, I don't have crap going on. I'd love to get on a 15-passenger van and be, get out of my house and go play music. <laughs> right. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, it just, it just depends. But there is a certain level. Uh, I remember working with this indie band, um, and they were great. Loved the music. And they were like, oh, this is great. We're going to go out on the road. We're going to open for Kansas. And we're going out for a month. And, you know, they're telling me this whole thing. And I'm like, great. What does it pay? <laughs> It pays a thousand dollars. I'm like a week. They're like for the month. I'm like, no, I can't go. I can't yeah. pay my mortgage. Like, right. like you know, sorry. And I get it. Yeah, right? it, they were younger. You yeah. know, it's just right. Yeah, but you're right. There's certain things I wouldn't go for. Right. Yeah. Right. No different than if I'm if I'm working here in town, I may get called from somebody in L.A. And it's kind of trading dollars for dollars. And I kind of go, really? I got to travel there. Right. The gig is not the, it's okay. It's a cool gig, but not the, whatever. Mm. I might as well just stay home. Right. And drive home. Right. Yeah. I'd rather, there are some gigs where I'm like, I'd rather just be home and cook dinner than go out and do this. Yes. You know? Yeah. Which is kind of a drag because I, you know, on some level, I, I, I want to think that I'm still very hungry and, and I have a lot to learn and, and, and experience to, to, to gain. Uh, but there's, there is a weighing but a certain moment where you're like, nah. but you're over or you're over that line of it's great exposure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't tell me that. Yeah. You know, right. I've been there. I'm right. not going to catch the fish. Right. Just pay me, <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever, like, right. you know, totally. Yeah. The whole exposure gig. No. Yeah, yeah. No, thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. I'll expose myself. Yeah. So um, so I'm not opposed, you know, if something were to come, come my way. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm always open to, I'm open to anything. Yeah. Right? Right. So that's, and, and, and yet, that's the beauty about it. I think one of my, the major attraction that I have to being a supportive role is that I get to play with so many, I get different experiences. Might be a Latin band, mm -hmm. might be Brian Chartrand, might be Melissa Manchester, might be a wedding with the Lucky Devils. But it's always different, it's always changing, and I love that. Yeah. I think that's why I was never the guy to join the one tribute band that's gonna you're going to play the same music every night. Da, 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 da. It's like, nah, it's not me. Yeah. You know, if you gave me an eight show a week Broadway show, I'd probably 
be an alcoholic. Right. It's, it's just not me. Right. I like variety. Yeah. And, and coming back to, to, to Phoenix market, um, there is a ton of variety here. Tons. You know, and, and at, at almost at every level, you Absolutely. know, so that's a good way, at least for me, um, something important to remember is that there is such diversity here and, and, you know, there is a younger population of hungry players that, that are ready to work and, and, you know, I don't know. I, I think that that's, we benefit from that greatly. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, and yet there's probably, th- there's many things here that I have yet to have tapped into. Right. Right. We're, right. we're always discovering either a venue we haven't played or shoot for that matter, a, a, a musician or, right. or a singer that we haven't, who's been here forever, but we've never got an opportunity to work with. And we, we were just chatting about the, the, there are people, you know, incredible players in this town. And I, I, I know the name. I just, I've never, right. never it's so deep that the, the well is so deep uh, of incredible players and, uh, yeah, it's 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 fantastic. I feel like this podcast c- could be thousands and thousands of episodes because there's just so many players to chat with. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, thank you for oh, joining thank, me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate you. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>